Choosing to spend more has its benefits too. Here we talk about North Carolina real estate, business, and life. I'm Justin Kazepis. Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. Still time to get those questions in before the Q&A session, always at the end of the show. We enjoy helping you out. You see, that's a passion uh, of, of mine, of our entire team, is to enable you to become a game changer. And when I say a game changer, I mean somebody who has the ability to choose the trajectory of life that you want to have. And with that comes freedom. You see, education is a chain breaker. If you have the time and the ability to invest in yourself And that doesn't mean necessarily monetarily with money, but with time and your mind, you can free yourself from the bondage of everyday life. You see, we all have the same 24 hours in a day, and I want you to be able to pick and choose what you do with your 24 hours that you have because uh, we don't know when it, that clock's going to run out. So excited today, we're going to have Don Poland on the show, the real estate incentives CPA, talking green energy, energy efficiencies, how to keep more money by utilizing the existing tax incentive programs that exist under the IRS code. Completely legal, completely legal to find more ways to keep your money. Don't ever let anybody guilt you into finding the ways to keep more of your money. I'm not a rule writer in the game. I just merely am playing the game and I want to help you uh, play it well as well. So Don Poland, we're excited to have her on. Um, she is with CRE Tax Planning. That's the best way to find her, CRETaxplanning.com. Um, she's involved with multiple organizations and, and knows what she's talking about. So we're excited to pick her brain today. We've talked about cost segregation previously, right? Depreciation, bonus depreciation, ways in which you spend particular dollars then on paper, the IRS allows you to say, okay, we will offset your income based on these categorical dollars that you spent. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Overall, there is a a wide ranging discussion as it relates to climate change. Oh, buzzword, climate change, climate change. I'm not here today to talk about climate change and whether there is any scientific validity to that. Um, And you may have personal beliefs on that. That's fantastic. Uh, But what I want to talk about is, okay, leadership has decided we think this is a, a, a legitimate issue. So therefore, we have created these incentive based programs for if you invest in the way we believe about this particular issue, again, climate change, if you spend dollars on green energy, then we will give you money back or allow you to keep your money that you spent by way of having tax deductions, tax breaks, tax credits, depreciation, all of those tools, right? We talk about all the time, government has tools to use to incentivize people to participate. And so that's what we're going to talk about today with Dompel. We're very excited. 844-STUDIO-4, todaysrealtalk.com. Also, um, you know, add us and, and connect with us on social. We're on all the platforms. So if you've got any questions there, you can do it publicly or DM us, whatever you prefer. We're open either way. And we're kind of an open book that way. So 844-STUDIO-4, todaysrealtalk.com. I need some real talk. Oh, I need some real 
Justin Kazepis, today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. If you've got questions, our Q&A segment coming up in a little bit. But what right now, we've got Miss Dawn Poland with us, CPA, the Real Estate Incentives CPA. So that, if not uh, anything else tells you, she's important, right? Because, uh, Miss Dawn, I'll tell you, back in the day when, when, before my dad passed away, he taught me two things. And really, two, one thing, but it, it meant two different things. Two people you never shorten your life your attorney and your accountant, right? Those are two people you never shorten your life. You spend a lot of time helping people who work very hard for their money. And as the market tightens, uh, working even harder for their money, uh, save more of that money, keep more of that money. Am I correct in guessing you probably get invited to a lot of year-end holiday parties? Is that true? Are you on everybody's dance card these days? I do get invited to to a lot of meetings, a lot of a lot of parties. You know, it's it's all about the money, for sure. I get a lot of phone calls. I answer a lot of questions, which I love all of it. Yeah, that's good. You you seem very uh, personable. I've seen you in CLEs, right? So I, I'm a North Carolina attorney, so I have to take a bunch of education classes. You are you are coming out as the the go to person for green energy tax incentives and and capturing recapturing those dollars for real estate developers. Um, I had a quick conversation with someone in the past about cost segregation. You do cost segregation. I think it's great to find someone in your local market doing cost segregation. You're mostly in the Raleigh area, but I assume you serve all of North Carolina. Is that, would that be a true statement mm-hmm. or kind of what's your niche and kind of focus within the state of North Carolina location wise? I really, uh, it, within the state, I do a lot of in-person stuff in Raleigh. I actually also have another residence in Lake Lore. So I kind of go over to the Asheville area. I'm going to be visiting there in another week. So I kind of go all over. Um, But as far as when you are talking to investors and developers, they're developing all over the place. So I have clients I talk to in California and DC, you know, really doesn't matter because most often your client will be in a different location than their property. And I'm focusing mostly on federal incentives. Uh, we will talk, obviously, a little bit. When you get into the green space, it goes all the way down to the local level. So there's a lot. So you bring up an interesting point. So I'm licensed in the state of North Carolina. North Carolina has reciprocity with other states. But I can promise you something, Don. I'm never going to take another bar exam. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I hear the, One of the times of your life, you black out, right? Like, and that, that was yeah. one of it for me. Um, my two children would be scarred. They're young enough right now that maybe I could get by with studying for something like that. But um, I, I like being involved in their life. And I can't re- recuse myself to a dark room again for, for th- a few months out of the year. So. Yep. Uh, so for you, you can focus nationally then, right? Because these rules are applicable, whether you're North Carolina, California, all the way, let's call it Hawaii, right? Let's go as far west as we can. So you can serve anybody in all 50 states. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So when you file your taxes, you got your federal and then your state. I actually used to do um, state and local taxes. So I know a lot of the tax laws in all 50 states, but mostly for, for real property, the states piggyback off of the federal return. So there are some differences, but it really, you start at the federal level, it trickles down. Um, And so, yes, all 50 states, you know, U.S. So when you you talk about foreign investments, different story, but U.S., all good. 
Excellent. And Asheville, what a market right now, right? I mean, Raleigh, obviously, right? We could put, let, let's talk about Raleigh some more, okay? Raleigh has been in the headlines forever. They get a lot of love. I get it. But Asheville as well, right? You've got a lot of, let's say, retirees, which brings in a lot of investors wanting to invest yeah. into a marketplace mm-hmm. with a lot of people with some cash to spend and reaching that point of life of, I've worked really hard. Now's time to spend some of that cash. So let's talk about some of these ways that that people can can uh, keep more of their dollars, right? It's not just what you make, it's what you keep. And so the conversation I had previously about cost segregation, really a form of, of depreciation, right? And mm-hmm. bonus depreciation um, was one of the terms I learned about, right? The Tax Cut and Jobs Act, what it did to create a possibility of 100% bonus depreciation. Give me, Don, your perspective. I, I'd love to hear it. Cost segregation. Give me that high-fly elevator pitch on why would cost segregation be relevant to somebody? Well, okay. All of these incentives, and I feel like I'm a can do it for Congress and the taxpayer because Congress gives us, when we talk about bonus depreciation, they give us these incentives as levers for them to try to um, have private investment move in the direction that they want it to. And real estate is always where they want private investors to put their money. They want the U.S. to continue to grow and be the best in the world, really. And real estate is huge. So when you're talking about cost segregation, you have um, the main crux of it is that part of your building asset is really personal property. So you should do it from that standpoint that you can depreciate things more quickly And that in turn saves you money on your taxes because you can reduce your tax liability down to zero. But the key is that you reinvest that into another investment. And that's what they want you to do. That is the driver. That's a driver of almost all the incentives that we'll talk about today. Cost segregation is a little bit different than a lot of the other incentives just because it came out of case law, which you're familiar with that. So it really won't be overturned. It's not a single rule. It is actually the real proper way that you should be booking your building. It's just that when you first buy or build a building, you don't have that data. So you have to have a study done. So you really should do it on, on every piece of property. So, But when you talk about the bonus piece, that's the lever that Congress changes every year to try to you know give you more incentive or less incentive. You cannot dip into that bonus piece unless you've done a cost segregation study and put some of your asset into a shorter life. So the two kind of work hand in hand. And for all intents and purposes, Congress wants you to be able to enjoy that because they want you to invest in the economy. Let's say I've got my, I'm a listener of today's real talk, the hottest real estate show there is in North Carolina. I'm a got, I've got my real estate professional status. I am so excited for uh, this new development project that I'm going to be working on. Let's say though, the timeline to start Don, I'm just acquiring the land now. So I got about a two year runway before I start putting shovels in the dirt and spending dollars. I got to get a hot take from you right now. I'm not going to hold you to it, I promise, Don. But I got to just speculate with me here in hypothetical land for a moment. 100% bonus depreciation. Do you think it ends up getting renewed at some point in the reasonably near future? I think that we will have bonus depreciation recharged. 
when you look historically at it, when it started in the 2001 or something like that, it was never 100%. It was maybe for a short period of time. It was 30, 50. I think definitely we'll go back to 50%. But it largely depends, Justin, on what the economy is looking like at the time. If they need a little bit of a thrust, they'll do it. So, so it's a little bit of an unknown. They won't be scared to pull the lever, I bet, right? There's someone in that back room like, hey, this one's really ready is. to go. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the Wizard of Oz, it really is. <laughs> well, well, and you mentioned um, uh, the IRS and the way that that real estate just tends to be this thing that that um, legislators focus on, that leaders focus on as, mm-hmm. as a wealth generator, as a growth module, an accelerant for, for the economy and for really just a, the success of people. Uh, and I I attribute that, and I've said this in my past conversations, to the concept of family, right? Because pe- people realize, okay, if you factor in step-up basis, right? So when I, when I pass away and what my kids will get, and, and, and there's a lot of debate and conversation going on about that right now as well. But, but just that concept of family and how it can keep going forever, a physical, tangible asset, not even just shares of a company, right? But actual physical space and how that in theory is going to last much longer than we will as individual people. I think that's why it continues to be the focus in a good way. And I think that that's good. And what we want to try to do is help educate people on the incentives of real estate and business and life. Just fun. Like we can talk food all day. We'll find out what your favorite food is. I'm sure at some point here tonight. So uh, really just wanted to go through uh, some of the other incentives then, because you seem to be honing in on two, two other particular topics. And I, and I want to ask, because I always try to think like my, my, one of my favorite shows is cash cab. You ever watch cash cab, like the random information kind of game show you hop into a random cab in New York City and you get asked game show style questions. So I think of it too, like where where we don't have that in North Carolina. Okay. But cocktail parties, right? Cocktail parties are all the rage, you know, come on over, have a sip of something, enjoy the time with people. So if I'm talking with people at the next cocktail party, I need to know some terms, Don. I need to know what I can be telling them about. And I even like to start with like getting the name right. So when I'm looking at the name of 179D and 45L, am I even saying that right? Like what, 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 what should I be saying to people. That is exactly right. And it refers to the um, internal revenue code number, just like 401k. You know, you're used to the word 401k and I don't know how many people actually stand back and realize that's the internal revenue code number. (laughs) I didn't. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I didn't either for a long time. And I'm like, oh, I see. So that's 179D. And 45L are incentives. That, that's just their code number where they, they gave them to us. Their, their birth, so to speak. When, when's the last time? So and so. So what's 179D looking like right now, Don? How am I, <laughs> how am I going to do on this this year? Is that is that how the conversation usually goes? Yeah, that's or? exactly how the conversation goes. <laughs> 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 All right. So, so my baseline understanding, we'll start with 179 D then let's get into 45 L. Um, it, it, the, the way I, I, when I look at it and I, and I try to watch some videos and get, gain some knowledge before I sit down, I don't like walking into a room, not knowing anything, Don, but I, I, you're the expert here. I don't know much. A government grant deduction. Is that what it is? Or, or tell me what is 179 D energy efficient incentives? What is I it? I wouldn't use the word grant because that's transferring of cash. Uh, the deduction part is it is actually very similar to the cost segregation when we're talking depreciation. So a D, the 179D, the calculation is completely different, but the result is also accelerated depreciation. So when you're talking to anybody and they're talking about what they what they can get, even if you're just looking an individual looking at your 1040, 
they tend to think credit and they, a credit is a dollar for dollar. You get your kids tax credit, you know, your child tax credit, you know, these things kind of come and go. That is a dollar, dollar for dollar by dollar reduction of your actual tax. You $100 in tax, less $100 credit zero. A deduction though is before tax. So you have to take your deduction amount, multiply it times your tax rate, and then it looks and feels like a credit because the deduction is kind of like your standard, um, your standard deduction. So, so off the top, I can take this off, the, off top. the top before you get to taxable income before you've applied your tax rate. So that is a key distinction here. So we're talking about depreciation with cost egg. We're also talking about depreciation acceleration with 179D. But like I said, the incentive and how you get to that number is completely different. But that's what it ends up being. It's a deduction. So then whenever you think your deduction is, multiply it times whatever your tax rate is. So what happens is you can have a completely different tax rate than me. And so the benefit could be completely different in your hands as opposed to my hands. Whereas the credit to each of us is worth a dollar for each dollar. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit interesting just in how these incentives, how they really give them to us, they're on different platters. So if I'm understanding correctly, and, and this is the time where you say, Justin, you're wrong, right? If, if I'm wrong and that's okay, please do, because I don't want to, anybody calling me later. You didn't say something right, Justin. So so Don's going to correct me if I'm wrong here. So if I'm thinking about cost segregation and being depreciation, that is for offsetting income. For 179D, can I have a scenario, let's say I build a building and let's say like uh, things are tight, Don, and I'm putting everything I got into this building. I, I've only got savings I'm putting in. I don't have a bunch of income coming in. Am I able to basically like take it all off the table from the IRS and they're going to actually cut me a check at the end there just for being a good citizen and smiling at everybody? Or how does that work? Nope, nope, nope. So what you're just, you're, what you're thinking about is a refundable credit. There's very few of those. Only like the earned income credit. Do you actually can go below zero and then get money back from the government that you never paid in. So there's, that's rare. Um, but in this case, what you can do, you can go all the way to zero and then you can hold that net off. It's a net operating loss. It'll just throw you beyond that zero and you carry forward it to next year. So that when you do have income, you'll use it to offset that. And you can carry it forward for 20 years, just like the net income loss rules in general. So you're, you're saying I can put basically put this thing in my wallet like it's a gift card to a store that I only visit when I go to my in-laws. And when I come and when I come back there one day, I can just pull this sucker out and say, ha ha, I got you. I was saving this for a rainy day. And I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and it makes sense because you as an investor, you aren't going to do anything just to lose money. You are trying to make money. So if you're building a building, initially, you're going to be building it, you're going to be paying for it, you aren't going to have any rental income yet from that building. So that might take you like you said, years to actually get that project going, you're going to be in a net operating loss for a while. And then you're going to start getting those rents in and then you're going to hold that property longer. And then they're they, they are patient, the IRS and the government, they are very patient. And they'll wait until you have that income and they will let you take those losses. Think about the income tax system that we have now. It cuts off every 12 months. I mean, that's a fictitious date. 
that's not how business runs, you know. So that taking your loss forward until you can use it, it just makes sense. It's funny because you bring up the, the even the dates, right? Um, so I, I was real estate practitioner or transactional firm that I exited at the end of 2021. And and, and it, it, we started having conversations every year around that August, September timeframe when people get their property tax bills in the mail. So uh, I see a credit and a debit on the closing disclosure. Uh, the tax office says that this runs like July 1st through June 30th. Well, yeah, see, that's their fiscal year, but then there's like the calendar year and then you get a bill and you pay your tax, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, where do, where do the calendars end and start, right? So, so you bring up a great point there. Like, so you know, let's not go back to the bar exam or the CPA That's right. Exam, we'll, we'll move to greener pastures here, but yeah, we don't want to think about that stuff. So, so I guess a little bit of the history here, and if, you, and if you don't know much on the history of it, fine, but, but if you do have any knowledge, I just always am curious about the story, right? I like people's stories, where people come from. And so even even rules, right? So 179D, uh, there's a lot of things I see about like the Department of Renewable Energy uh, and, and things like that in the IRS and the history of this. How long has 179D been around? Has it always been kind of there? It's just by, by a new name. Tell me about the history, if you could. It's been there since 2006. So 179D, and you hear this all the time, especially when we have candidates that are running, you know, they're, they're looking for ways for renewable energy, for green energy. We've got global warming. I mean, this is a huge focus. How are we going to, you know, not be so dependent on gas, all of these things. So it has been a focus for a while um, to try to move towards just being greener and, you know, lead buildings and green buildings. These things are gaining speed. It takes a while. So 179D first came into play in 2006. And that's interesting. So yeah, it, it really does have to do obviously with, with green energy is the main focus here, right? It's an incentive for people to spend dollars on green energy initiatives, hence why, you know, you, you go by the incentives and a green energy expert, right? Which is good. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with investing those dollars into things. It's just always interesting, like, okay, we're talking about some type of way that it's going to cost money somewhere. And so what, what leaders have decided is, okay, the cost that the taxpayer will pay on this incentive incentive, deduction, depreciation, whatever way we want to call it, is greater than the potential effect of not using these techniques. And so we see in certain areas, right, it, it ramps up more and more over time. So I'm wondering then, okay, as a developer, I develop some land. I'm, I'm a big dirt guy, Don. I like dirt. I consider it like water. God's not making any more, right, unless he lets the rain come it's down. It's a finite so asset. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. And I like yeah. scarcity. I read that book a long time ago, and I uh, <laughs> have stuck to it ever since. Yeah. So what is the easy easiest way for a developer to accomplish uh, getting this type of incentive? I mean, am I going to have to spend a, a, a $50 million on a property to get any of these incentives or how does it, how does it work? You mentioned the formula, like, tell me about the math now. Okay. So let's talk about the math, but I will mention one thing because you touched on it. When you're looking at these incentives, especially when we get into 45L, but definitely with 179D, Part of the reason why the government is giving you the incentive is because it is going to cost you more to make an energy efficient building. So there's a trade off there. So really, the best thing to do is when you look at your plans and your design to, to have it taken, uh, have somebody like myself take a look at it at that point and see what modifications you might need to do to capture the credit if you won't be able to based on your current design. So what you actually get for 179D, you have to be 50 percent more energy efficient than a certain code, which is right now it's the ASHRAE standard. If you're probably not familiar with that, it stands for architects, actually I can probably forget, uh, refrigerated 
AC engineers. This is big, long, you know, it's the ASHRAE standard. Shocking. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's one of those words that you say just like 401k and you're like, what does that actually mean? But it's a stand, it's a baseline building standard for energy efficiency. So you have to be 50% more energy efficient than that. Now, the interesting thing about this, they, they look at HVAC, envelope, and lighting. There's three components to it. And currently and historically, the standard has been based on 2006. So honestly, just building up to code, you get it. So if you're just, it's a new construction building, you're going to get this deduction. It's It has been historically, prior to 2021, $1.80 per square foot. So generally a larger building is going to have a lot more benefit than a very small building. You do have to have it signed off by a specific type of mechanical engineer. So that is one thing. If you just have a small amount of square footage, it's harder to really get over the hurdle of what the investment is going to be to have a study done and a sign off. But you have like a big warehouse. It's pretty much a shoe in. Now, the Inflation Reduction Act changed this incentive quite a bit. And actually, it's going to be available to get upwards of $5 a square foot of a benefit going forward. I got some people busting out some calculators right now, Don, real quick. So, So, okay. So, it is really interesting. So, I really think, so the 179D credit and the 179D deduction, I say that, I get myself mixed up too, and the 45L credit have both been part of what you've sure heard about the extenders package every year. We wait to see, you know, what kind of benefits we're going to get on our taxes for the next year. Well, sometimes they're in that extenders package and sometimes they're not. So it's really crippled these two incentives. So right now they're in for all of our back years and and the IRS is consistently a little late. So like they put them in in August um, for like 2022 and it was August of 2022. I said, okay, we'll, we'll go back and give it to the that is standard. So they really haven't taken off. Now the 179D deduction is permanent, so which is great. So now people can really plan because like you said, it's two years before you're going to put that shovel in the ground. How do you know it's actually even going to be in the code in two years? I've talked to many people that just say, I can't bank on this. I can't plan for that now and spend this extra cash up front and then not actually get the deduction because it wasn't extended. So now we're going to have a couple the, the $5 a square foot coupled with being permanent, a lot more, there's already a lot more interest I see in this deduction. There's a lot of little rules and caveats. Um, You have to have, I don't know if, I had never really heard this term before, prevailing wages. So if you build a governmental building and there's other green energy incentives out there, that basically um, the government has a list of what they consider to be a minimum wage to pay your contractors and your subcontractors. If you are that's got to be a that, fluctuating list right now. My goodness. Yeah, that's a big question mark. <laughs> big question mark in the industry as far how do you document that? What do you do? If you have to have these prevailing wages and basically be paying all of your contractors and subcontractors well enough in order to get that. If you don't meet that requirement, you can still get it, but it's not even going to be a dollar eighty anymore. The max you're going to be able to get is a dollar a square foot, but you can still get it. So it's interesting. So how do I get $5 a foot? That That's what I think. Like the moment you said, okay, $5 a foot, Don, ha, ha, I'm a developer. How do I get it? Get, tell me, give me the sweet sauce, Don. How am I getting how $5? Get how do you get it? Well, you need to be right now. The standard for the reference building is based on 2007 standards. So honestly, if you're building up to code, you're most likely going to qualify for any new construction. 
it's going to go based on the date that your project has is started. But let's say you start your project January 1st, which is when the $5 goes into place, then you're going to be golden. Until, and this is a little bit of an interesting, there's all these little nuances, until the IRS actually puts out more information on how they're going to do the prevailing wages, you don't have to follow that and you can still take the $5 a square foot. It's right there in the Inflation Act. It's, it's, I think it might be a catalyst to try to get the IRS to get guidance out faster than they normally do. Mm-hmm. But if you start your project then, you can, even if your project is finished in two years after that, doesn't matter. It goes by your commencement date. You'll be able to qualify for that. So, so we, you mentioned HVAC, interior lighting, and building envelope. So, interior lighting. Are we talking like if I just put some LED bulbs in? Hey, I'm getting five dollars a foot. Or, or, or what am I look? Do I need to show you some receipts? Actually, or are we going on the honor system? What are we doing? You have no. Oh, there's a lot of testing that's done on the back end, and, and all kinds of. Um, I won't even speak to that since I'm not a mechanical engineer. But uh, we we do have one on staff and he's the one that does all of these things. And that's all he's done for like 20 years, (laughs) although it hasn't been. But he's been a mechanical engineer and done just 179D since 06. So it's interesting. But um, what is interesting is in the past, you mentioned lighting, just your lighting could qualify. And when you looked at the dollar 80, it was 60 cents per component. So just your lighting component could qualify. So if you had an older building and you went and put an LED LED lights on every, you know, everywhere, you got 60 cents. You just automatically. Going forward, though, they are going to look at the building as a whole. So it has to, your lighting and and your envelope and your HVAC, they have to be working together. And they have to make the building at least uh, 25% more energy efficient. So actually, the scale goes down a little bit. It used to be 50%. And then you get less of a deduction, though. And then you can move... up, upward to that 50% range. And it's this whole sliding scale. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be calculated a little bit differently, but basically you just want to be 50% is your goal, mm-hmm. more energy efficient than this reference building, which is built on standards from 2007. What I have seen is that you'll, you'll, you'll pass just by meeting code. And that's interesting. And and the way you describe it, because, I, because I don't want people like people's heads are some people's heads are spinning, right? I, it's always funny when I hear people say, Oh, math, I can't do math, which we can have an education conversation, how we need to implement some more math strategies, right? In the education sphere these days, because of how important it is. But this is where it comes down to everyone's situation is unique, right? Because, and every building is unique. Every design plan is unique. All the materials are unique. And so when I, what I learned about cost segregation is, you know, it's not just like, oh, I'm a 20-year expert, like as if I'm testifying in court, right? I'm a 20-year expert. I'm going to say that's worth $2 a foot. I would imagine like cost segregation, there's some standardized numbers that yes, as an expert, it matters, but there's some type of formulaic system and based probably on like some product lines and some like when we look at details of a light bulb, like, you know, energy efficiency and all that, like we're talking about, I imagine that a lot of that comes into this conversation. Would that, would you say that's true? That is true. That is true. And so that is, you actually are completely right. You're looking at certain products and you have to document that those were the products that were actually put in the building and they were built, you know, as they were planned. You know, a lot of visiting the building that the engineer does is making sure that the plans and what you plan to do was actually what you did do. So documenting all of that kind of stuff. But what is interesting is one of the areas where they're waiting on guidance from the IRS is that they're thinking that maybe you're really going to have to prove 
these were my electric bills the last 12 months. And after I made these changes, here's my electric bills the next 12 months. And I've proven that I'm now 50% more energy efficient. And with rising energy costs, I, I, these formulas, Don, they're just getting deeper on it. They're just getting deeper. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, what I tell everybody is that don't, don't worry about all the back end. I mean, you do need a basic understanding, but the best thing is just to have somebody look at it. And I mean, all, all firms, including ours, we would take a look at it and tell you from the onset, yes, no, before you've ever decided to move forward. So that is the best way. We had one recently, um, which is a great candidate, manufacturing lots of square feet, but they're manufacturing a product that generates a lot of heat. So they didn't put an HVAC system in there. So that made the HVAC system obviously doesn't exist. They can't get that component. They, that made the envelope fail because those work together because they've got, you know, so they only got lighting. But we, we can see that from the drawings. We know that before we ever started and done anything. So you're, you guys should be really in on the conversation. You should be at the table at the time of architecture design is what mm -hmm. I, is what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's where the planning comes in, Justin. That's why I have been moving. When you think about cost segregation, a lot of firms are at the tail end. A lot of CPAs get their information from their client. Let's say you're my client and you told me after your building is done and now you're talking to me the next year, giving me your information, telling me, hey, built a building. Well, I was not able to help you at all with any of grabbing any of these incentives that you needed to think about in the design phase. So when you're just focusing on cost segregation, that is what tends to, tends to happen because you can easily do cost segregation way after the building is done, even if it's been up for several years. But a lot of these other incentives, you have to be in front of it. You have to really sit down. And that's where the tax planning piece really comes into it. And even with cost segregation, if you move what I call upstream and get, get in the table initially, you can affect change because then that, that developer, that builder, that investor can plan for that tax savings and then put that back into the project. I think as interest rates started to rise, and, and I don't call it a bubble, this is nothing like 2008, right? So I grew up in real estate. My dad was in real estate my whole life. So I'm very familiar with the cycles of real estate personally, like, hey, food on the table at home, right? I'm very familiar with the cycles right. of real estate and the effects that can have. Uh, it's, the, it's the concept, though, of when you're looking at a project as a whole and you want to get high rents, because that's what everyone's kind of concerned about right now, right? The rising costs of rents as, and as interest rates rise. It's kind of like no one wants to touch the, touch the, the, the ball right now of, well, you know, we got, we got costs. It costs more for us to build this project. We got to charge you tenant more money to be in here. And people who are manufacturing are like, Hey, labor's getting more, you know, we're trying to get supplies from everywhere. Everywhere is kind of costing money. And so this is that concept, real practical effect of inflation. So planning for, Hey, I want to get top dollar rents. You're going to have to have some top dollar things put inside of these units now because people are spending so much money. They want some kind of justification. I think back to when like a lot of properties, uh, and, and I don't want to say a lot, it just depends on your area you live in. I don't want to make it sound like everyone's got it, but like granite countertops, right? Like that seems to almost like a new construction be like the norm. Like, yeah, don't even tell me about granite. Like don't even try to upcharge me on granite countertops, developer, builder, like that's standard. Like, come on now. Yeah. You can put it on paper all you want, but but we all know the game. I'm curious about building envelope. You brought that up and, and me being, being a dirt man, I like dirt. Like I said, um, I, I, I've got a, some projects I've been working on where it's all about dirt, right? And the envelope of, of a build. Is that what we're talking about? Like, are we talking about the dirt or, or what are we, what do you mean by building envelope? What does that mean? I really literally mean the four walls of a building. 
and the and the foundation. So um, literally the 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 box. We'll call it the box. Literally the box. The box. So when you're when you you're looking at dirt, the first thing you have to do is site improvements. So it really doesn't have anything to do with that. When you're looking at 179D, you're looking at literally just your building structure and your envelope is just your box. And so like if it, we're talking probably insulation, is that what we're yeah. thinking of envelope? We're insulation, leakage, um, all, all of that. Exterior, stuff. is exterior part of this conversation or no, like the siding of the building or no, is that not, we no, wouldn't no, no. put it's that. It's really just how much of the energy that you're putting into it to heat and cool it, how much of it is being retained versus leaking out. So your doors, your windows, I mean, all of these things are going to help you to have a more secure, energy efficient envelope. So, so if, if I'm, if I'm calling you and say, Don, I got a new project and you're like, sweet, we're going to get our mechanical engineer out to take a look. Is somebody showing up on site with like a hazmat suit on and like the radar guns, like testing all this, or is it more like math? What are we talking about? Not for 179D. Now yeah. for 45L, a lot of these things that we're saying are going to be different. So for 45L, the answer is yes to that. But <laughs> for uh, 179D, no, actually the engineer is mostly looking at your plans and what you plan to do, because from there they can run all the specs. Uh, there is certain software they have to run everything through that will tell it how energy efficient the building will be on paper. And then the site visit is actually done at the end. And they're basically just making sure that everything was just built the way it was supposed to have been. There's always some changes on the ground. So maybe you put down, you're going to put in a certain type of an HVAC unit. And then when they get there, it was different. So they just would look at those items, adjust the software, make sure everything still passes. And then then they would issue the certification. So like a SEER 77 or whatever the number is, right? If it's on paper, it's it's got to yes. be there at the property too. Yeah, okay, that exactly. makes sense. Well, let's help ET phone home then at 45L tax credit. Let's <laughs> let's talk about it. Give me the history of 45L. You know, I'm sitting around the cocktail party. You know, 2006 was a great year because 179D came about. Now let me talk about 45L. Teach me about the history of 45L. What? How long is it new or no? Tell me about it. It's not new, and I, but I will admit, I don't know exactly what year it came out. I will say that it has, uh, it's one of these credits that hasn't taken off. There, and I wouldn't say that. There are some, like, um, large home builders, they've been able to take it. So they get, you know, a system down. But what the 45L is, it's for residential properties. So it's for track home builders and apartment builders. Apartments are actually really great because what you get is, historically, was a $2,000 credit per door. Hmm. Um, each door had to pass, and you can do some sampling in there. So, But they do literally go in and do blower testing, ceiling testing on these different units, and you could have unit A fail and unit B pass. So you might not get uh, the credit for all of your units. It also depends on how much sun is shining on a particular unit. If there's a tree outside the window, like it's really really, you know, interesting and intricate the way they do it. So 45L is a little bit expensive to get the certifications. But if you have like a 300 unit apartment complex, you're talking about a $600,000 credit. So we're talking about big money. But that was historically. 45L is changing dramatically. It's the most dramatic change that's going to happen starting 1-1-23 from this Inflation Reduction Act. And now it's going to be aligned with the Energy Star certifications and the zero energy home building. Um, I can't remember all of these acronyms. I will be honest with you, but there's a zero energy home builders uh, certification. It's also attached to Energy Star. 
they are going to be tied together. So if you are going to go for Energy Star, and a lot of these big home builders have because Energy Star sells itself to the consumer. So they're already getting Energy Star. So you can get, it is, um, instead of, it's $2,500. Wait a minute, it might be $500 to $1,000. So the credit goes down, just like 45L, if you don't do the prevailing wages. Mm -hmm. But if you're paying all your subcontractors and your contractors prevailing wages, you can get up to $5,000 a door. So it's either $2,500 a door if you're doing Energy Star or $5,000 a door if you're doing the zero uh, energy certification. So it's very interesting. Now, those are pass-fail. There's not necessarily a sliding scale on this one between the $2,500 and the $5,000, hmm. but it's just the two different standards. So what will happen, though, is that you need to talk to your Energy Star providers and you will have them do it and give you certifications. There's a different software package they have to use, uh, the ResNet standards, and they have to be what's called a HERS rater. Mm -hmm. And they, they will be able to do that and wrap it all in. And that one is, I would say, the biggest thing, if you're interested in it, if you're building apartments, is you need to think, if, if I'm going for $5,000 a door, Think to yourself, the reason why Congress gave you so much money is it's going to cost you money to actually get up to those standards. Those are tough standards to get up to. They're great. What I have seen historically for 45L is that if you are not installing an HVAC system, you mentioned the SEER rating. If you are not installing a SEER rating at least two above standard code, you will never pass. So think about that now when you're going to the zero energy standard. I can't even imagine what kind of a SEER rating you need to put in. So it's going to cost you some money. It's going to cost you part of that 5000 Well, but and the risk. I mean, you're talking about some risk right now, right? Where if 179D and cost segregation is just numbers on paper, we're talking about getting rated. So at first, I thought you were on everybody's dance card. Give me a war story here. Have you had to call someone with the bad news? Hey, report came back. You failed the test. Sorry, you're not getting this. Do you ever have to make that call? I, I have had to tell people that for sure. However, it has been different. So I think going forward in 2023, because this is going to be looped into Energy Star, what happens is your that those people have to go out and look at it multiple times throughout the whole build process. So they're going to charge you differently. They're going to charge you for their time, whether you passed or not. Historically, for this credit, you could build and then you could come to me later and say, hey, did I build it to get this credit or not? And I could look at it on paper again, and then say yes or no. So I've had to tell people, no, you failed, but they didn't pay anything. Because we, we will look at these things and tell you that answer before we ever get started, before you have to pay anything to us. So someone can get a baseline at least like, hey, you're probably don't even don't waste your time. It's not, you know, this is exactly. not going to happen. What we'll say is it looks like, you know, from what we've seen here, we have to go out and do the actual testing, but you should pass. And then they, they'll know. And it's going to be, it's, Everyone that we've actually done the studies for, it has totally been beneficial for them. But yeah, going forward. So I will say the whole industry right now is pivoting on this because they need to come up with a different way to price this, to market this. I mean, all of it, because you are you what we feel like is going to happen is that if you are already Energy Star, you're golden. It's going to be easy for you. If you're not 
to for you to be able to get there the first time you do it and put your processes in place and see what it's going to look like for you, it is going to be a risk. But that's what the government wants. They want you to go for that. They want to push more people that direction. They want the smaller builders to also follow suit, not just the big ones, because I don't know what percentage the big home builders are building of all the residential around the country. We need more. There's a, there's a lot that's left on the table if they're the only ones that are trying to apply all these energy standards. Well, you bring up a good point, right? Because if we're trying to bring this down to, let's say, a mom and pop level, talk to me about your, your typical person who are using these things, right? I can imagine, okay, cost segregation is relative. Maybe you've got a much wider spectrum of people who utilize that. But looking at 179D and 45L, um, are, 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 who's using it? I mean, are we talking these mega hedge fund builders and massive people, your most sophisticated developers? Or are there some small shops that have realized the potential of this and are using it to their advantage? Well, okay. So there's one thing I didn't tell you about 179D. There's a secret that I didn't tell you. But I'll answer that first question too. And then I'll tell you this it's the secret area where a lot of people are using it. So uh, what I see for people that own their own properties, I see it just manufacturers is what, what I see are the most um, user, you know, uh, potential taxpayers that are that are going for that because they have a lot of square footage. So when you think about an Amazon warehouse, something like that, the more square footage, the better. So you're industrial um, folk. You're talking industrial, you're industrial style. Yeah. That's where a lot of the 179D is. Now, some people are grabbing it when they're doing their lighting retrofits, you know, but you need, you really need at least 50,000, if not 75,000 square feet to make it worthwhile. That's just... That's just, but, but the secret area is, and so we didn't talk about this, is the government has also realized that there's a lot of government buildings out there. When you're talking about jails and schools and universities and all these things, and so they also want them to be energy efficient. Well, they don't pay tax, so they don't really care about a deduction. So what they've given you in the 179D is that they allow the designer or the architect of those buildings to take the deduction. It has to be transferred so that that uh, governmental entity historically has to sign on paper. Yes, you can have it. They didn't need it anyway. And so they get to take it. It's a, it's a fake deduction because the architect and the designer didn't have to pay for it. Hmm. And so there are a lot of architectural firms out there that they, they make, they make bank on taking this deduction that doesn't actually exist for them. I have talked to firms and that what they do is, based on how much of a deduction they get, how much that reduces their tax this year, they calculate that and they pass that out as bonus to all their employees. Interesting. So we're talking about if you are designing from the architecture, the professional design perspective of a government building for the government, that's got to create some competition, I would imagine, then of maybe lowering some bids and things like that as far as yes. offering design plans. I would imagine that's part of that game. It, 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 there, it has gone there. It's not... That was not the intent of Congress, um, but it, it definitely has gone there, you know, but that's a that's a balancing act for sure. Well, Don, I always say the market will dictate. That's that's the market will dictate. And so that has been historically just a, a landslide. And now going forward in 2023, because we've got so many changes in this Inflation Reduction Act, they have now opened that up to any nonprofit. So if you're a church, if you're a private university, if if you are just a 501c business nonprofit and you're building a building, your architect or designer can have that deduction. So that is going to open it up. I already have um, 
architect firms calling me now that want to talk about this who hadn't hadn't taken it before that do a lot of work in that space. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. So I am on the board of a nonprofit, a 501c3 called the Hope House here. Um, it's based in Huntersville, North Carolina. It is a um, transitional homeless shelter for women and children. And we have begun developing cottages for part of our transitional living to help people get acclimated to the real world by themselves. Um, I, I, we don't take a housing first approach of just stick people in hotels and stick people in houses because we believe in the necessity of life skills, right? Like when I went off to college and I was coming home still to ask my mom to do my life laundry, right? That was because I didn't have that skill yet. And then it wasn't until I got married that I was finally taught that skill. And sorry, mom. And, I, and, I, and she taught me, but I just didn't listen as much then, right? It, 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 I don't know. Different conversation. I'm, I'm already putting my foot in my mouth too much right now, Don, but I'm going to back up a little bit. But but the point being, okay, so we work with some architects. So this is good to know when we're talking with our business partners in the sense of, or sponsor partners, donors, right? That, that want to help facilitate and provide a good thing to the community where they reduce their price for us but this is a way for them to earn back too and th- that's yeah. phenomenal that's great so I, i'm yes. very grateful that thank you see this was the this is don this is why you're the best you see you're, you're giving me stuff i didn't even ask for thank you, and now i'm going to go back to my next board meeting and i'm going to look real good whenever i whenever i do this so i appreciate that so uh, real back to real quick back to 45l tax credit so ta- again I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind depreciation deduction credit how's the credit work is this a long-lasting live on and forever always good or or how's this category work credits can also um go, move forward for for 20 years so you don't have to worry you won't get money back once you go below zero but you just hang on to them use them the next year i mean they are going to offset your tax dollar for dollar and if you have partners if you have a partnership you know it's, it's going to flow down in the partnership allocation percentages to each of your partners to use so there's a concept of, of, of cost segregation and when and when we talk about depreciation recapture tax is that a factor in this too? Are we lowering our, our starting point of our basis for the gain in order to recapture? Are we looking at that in the long term as well for these categories and these incentives too, or is it different? Yes. So when you're talking cost segregation and you're talking 179D, because it's a deduction and it comes off of your basis, it's actually in the form of depreciation, then yes, you're subject to recapture tax. 45L, they used to make you, so 2022 and prior, to reduce your basis. And now they've gotten rid of that for 45L, which makes sense, which is interesting because low-income housing credit, for example, that credit is calculated on the basis. So by taking the 45L credit in conjunction with that and then having to reduce your basis, in effect, lowered your lower low-income housing credit. So they've, they've done away with that, which is great for the 45L. But here's an interesting thing to think about with recapture. So if you hold your building long enough, So everybody knows we have the net investment income tax now, 3.8%. If you're passive, so there's there's ifs here because you talked about you being an active real estate professional. If you're passive, you're going to get hit with that. And so your recapture tax on straight line depreciation, which over a period of time is, is most all your depreciation, is 25%. And that doesn't get hit with the NII. But if you do capital gains at 20%, and then you get hit with NII, you're only 1.2% difference. So yeah. to be honest, I wouldn't worry too much about recapture unless you're going to sell your building in less than five years from the time you did your study. 
So you heard it from Don first. Don't believe the headline. Invest in real estate. Don't stop. Keep pouring into it, uh, especially for North Carolina. Don, I grew up in North Carolina. This is home for me. This is I love North Carolina. I keep trying to emphasize to people we are at such a pivotal point as a state right now. We have such an amazing opportunity ahead of us because of the shift of population we've seen now in a couple of years. And I think it's and I don't get into the politics, but I'll focus on I like focusing on policy, actual practical effect of people. We are a good middle of the road, have a real conversation state and let's see how it actually affects the citizens. And so right now with the population increasing, infrastructure is going to be continue to be a major, major, major aspect that we need to do. Don, I really love the idea and I'm going to throw it out there. And, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this in any way, shape or form. I just like random hot, hot take thoughts. I want a commuter rail that goes from Charlotte to Raleigh so we can all be friends. That's what I want these days. Yeah. And things like that are going to help other buildings and other areas begin to grow when we have those mass transportation uh, opportunities. So I hope that our leaders continue to make good decisions moving forward and these type of incentives. Now, real quick, we've been talking federal a lot. Is there any kind of hot and fast rules on state that you can give us? What are we looking or local even? I don't know if there is anything even more local. Let's talk, you know, hey, what about uh, solar? Solar's been a hot topic for a while, Don. What are we looking at? Is everyone, you know, is Duke Energy getting mad at everybody or what? Where are we at? Solar is an interesting one for sure. And I, I will be the first to admit, I can't keep up with all the different incentives and I'll tell you where you can go for that. But solar, I don't know if you know, just from a federal level, it was starting to sunset. It was 30% and then 26%. It's going back up to 30%. So it's going to get a little bit rejuvenated. Solar is, is very hot. There's great benefits with depreciating solar. The solar credit for North Carolina has sunset. So that, I don't know if they're planning on putting that back or, you know, if, if there's anything on the table with that. But there is, and I have been working with them because I love the concept. I love the concept of all of these incentives, but it is too much for one person to keep up with, is the Incentifind database. And so it is Incentifind.com. And you can go out there if you are building especially if you're building, you can go out there and put in your parameters. They charge a couple hundred dollars for the report, but it is not a static report. It's a live report and it's good for 18 months. It will up, it will show you all of your incentives, the federal, the state, the local, the city, the county, everything that you are eligible for based on your parameters. And then it's, it's a live report for 18 months. So whilst you're building, whilst you're constructing, you can go back out there and see if you're now eligible for anything else. It's, it's really pretty fascinating, and, and I love the concept. I think that implementation, you got to keep up with it. Um, you got to see there's all the major problem that I see in general with all these things is I looked at several incentives for Raleigh was trying to help an investor get some things, and you have to go over here and apply here with them and get approval at this stage, and you have to do this over here. So you sort of, I found, kind of need to hire someone to just do the paperwork. But it just knowledge is power. You can decide whether it's going to be worth it or not. And, you know, some of these things will get easier and streamlined as things like this database come up to try to help people capture these things. A lot of them don't get captured. 
education is a chain breaker, Don. I am a big, big, big believer in that. My dad uh, started off sweeping parking lots as a kid and made a decision one day that he wanted to learn. And he, thankfully, that was one of the many things he tried to pass along to me, one of the few that I actually retained over the years. Uh, education is so important. And real, one quick note I want to mention, I don't want to leave out Asheville too from, from, from my light rail or my, my commuter train oh, equation yeah. I had. I want Asheville involved. I want Greensboro. I want Winston. I want Durham. I want the whole triangle. I want Fayetteville, Wilmington. Let's connect as a state, right? Let, let, let's start talking as a state about these things. Um, I, I really, awesome. th- we do have the Amtrak though. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, and I like, don't look, don't get me wrong, Don. I just like, I prefer just like a little bit more kind of new schoolish kind of tone to it. Maybe. I don't know. I, I could be, you I might be bougie that way. I yeah. I'm bougie. Hear, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. You yeah. look, but the overall, if I think about an overall theme of today in our conversation, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That That's what it seems yeah. to really yeah. come down to, Don, yes. if I can say that. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, because as I think they should, where should they go to do that? Uh, CRE, commercial real estate, taxplanning.com. Perfect. And you can, you can book a call with me there. We can go over what you have you know, going on. I, I love, I love the planning. I love to try to help people save money. This is this. I went into this space from doing returns for years and years and years because I make people smile. That's it. That's it. You help keep that them buku bucks, Don. And I like that. Now I'm going to go to the next cocktail party. I'm going to be able to have a few more conversations. So <laughs> I do appreciate that. Don Poland, the real estate incentive CPA. So grateful for your time, Don. We really Thank appreciate for it. Writing. Looking forward to hearing all the new incentives that are going to keep coming out both at a state and federal level. We'll check in with you again at some point if that's okay with you. Perfect. So perfect. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Today's real talk. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry, Don. I don't want to cut you off. Thank you. (laughs) Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com. Coming right back with the Q&A session. Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com. 844-STUDIO-4, Justin Kazepis. And now is that time, Q and A. You've got Qs, I've got As. And uh, excited about the questions we've got today. Thanks again so much to Don Poland. Uh, CREtaxplanning.com, CRE Commercial Real Estate, taxplanning.com. Um, what an incredible uh, knowledge base that we were able to gain today, thanks to her. Uh, So if you're looking for someone to uh, learn more about cost segregation, 179D energy incentives, incentives, 45L tax credits, uh, Don Polin, CREtaxplanning.com. So gracious for her time. We appreciate that. I got the questions here. Uh, Are there any good courses you would recommend to help with learning real estate. Are there any good courses that I would recommend to help you with learning real estate? I I don't like to recommend specific courses by third parties that I don't have um, a business partnership relationship with. Um, of which we would always disclose that, um, you know, there are people that we partner with at a business level who uh, pay for advertising based on uh, on our show and, and um, brokers that are able to tout their knowledge of their particular markets. I don't, I'm not hiding the ball on any of that. So I think courses are one of those areas, though, that has a lot of saturation 
What I mean by saturation are there are a lot of course offerings. Uh, there are a lot. And there's a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different aspects, many of which are touted on a personal individual's knowledge and experience um, in a particular sector or a particular market. So what I recommend when I'm looking for a course, because I take courses too, right? I, I, I hold a North Carolina broker license I have for over 10 years. So I have eight hours of continuing education that I'm required to take each year. Uh, I have uh, an attorney's license here in North Carolina. I am licensed by the North Carolina State Bar. So I have uh, continuing legal education that I must take each year. And then I enjoy just learning. So I, I find courses uh, being a lifelong student, right? It's not maybe not for academia credit for a, a sophisticated degree for me to hang on the wall, uh, but I do enjoy learning. So I, I do try to keep a pulse on what is available from an education perspective in the marketplace. And what I always recommend is start with if it's going to be real estate, right? Because that's what we're talking about. Um, business kind of can be a little bit different, but I'll focus on real estate. You got to focus on your particular market because I have found in courses I've subscribed to and purchased, and even free courses that I that you know, given my personal identifiable information in order to obtain, um, the content was so generic that I could have accomplished the same learning lesson with written word and a Google search and probably a 30, 60 second video on YouTube or any other video streaming platform um, as compared to paying for or subscribing to a particular course. So I like very specific geographic territory based courses and I also like courses that have been vetted by third parties. So for instance, if there's a course that offers continuing education credit for brokers in North Carolina, uh, I, I like that because that means the real estate commission has reviewed the content of that course and it has met minimum, minimum, uh, low, lowest possible threshold standards um, and I'm not saying the commission has low standards. I'm just saying there is a baseline, right? There is a baseline, at least when a third party um, agency, government entity, regulator um, who has reviewed the content to ensure that it meets at least minimum standards. And so I like that. What I'm finding more and more, though, in courses, again, is a lack of specificity to a geographic territory, particularly North Carolina, because that's the market I'm in, we are in. And uh, that can be frustrating because if you've got more of a national style course, a lot of it uh, may generically be applicable, but if you are already an intermediate or let's call it even advanced level and you want specific knowledge that, in my opinion, is where most courses fall short. And so if you're at that intermediate or advanced level, I can't stress to you enough the importance of connecting with people. And the likelihood is if you're an intermediate or advanced level person, and it's not I'm not talking about you consider yourself to be, you know if you've got knowledge and you're based on your experience in the game. Um, I know people who have been in, 
uh, a couple of years that I would consider advanced as compared to people who have been in for decades who I would not consider um, even being beyond a novice. Um, so I, I, again, I don't think necessarily the length of time is, is always the identifier. Uh, but finding people to connect with that uh, may not have the exact knowledge, right, that you're looking for, but will encourage you to continue seeking that knowledge, I think is very, very important. So are there any good courses you would recommend? Um, I don't, I'd say find the one that that is specific. That's the best course I recommend, a specific topic of content. Generic content is good as you're a novice, but when you want to reach higher levels, you need specific content. So Thank you, George, out of Wilkesboro for that question. We appreciate that. What do I do if my contractor won't finish the job? Um, I'll be honest with you. I normally like to say, hey, you know, give us your name, what city location you're in. But this one actually was an anonymous uh, question. Um, given the question, what do I do if my contractor won't finish the job? I can't blame them. This is a tough question. This is one where... Uh, Wow, what if what if my contractor won't finish the job? Through when when COVID started, right, we saw such an uptick in real estate investment. Um, people entering that space who had never touched it before, um, and so we had so many flips again, kind of similar to a pre two thousand eight. We had so many people trying to be investors in real estate, uh, wholesaling which we could spend an hour talking about uh, a, a lot of different areas of investing in real estate, which a lot of those projects required some form of upfitting um, construction or, or even new development. And so you have to in North Carolina, um, if it is a job, um, $30,000 or more in work, it's kind of a baseline threshold of you're required to work with a general contractor there are some exceptions to that rule. And then there are also some less than $30,000 thresholds that um, still require you to work with a general contractor or specifically specific tradesperson um, to complete that work. And so what happened is these contractors, some of which aren't bad people. Let me be honest with you. Not, a lot of these people aren't, you know, trying to scam everyone. I don't, I don't think that's the intention of all of them. A lot of them, a vast majority of them, though there are always scammers in the world. I think some people just got over leveraged and overextended. And so we saw, I, I particularly heard, you know, my transactional firm before I exited, got a lot of calls from people about contractors not finishing the job, let's say for repairs, even in order to complete a closing, um, you know, due diligence repair requests not being completed because contractors just were flaking. And so it begs the question, what do I do? What do you do if you've given someone, let's say, a $10,000 deposit on a job worth $50,000 and the contractor's not, contractor's just not calling you back or they're not showing up and they're not doing the work that they told you that they would do? And maybe you even signed a contract with them to complete. So what do you do? Um, I'm not a litigation attorney. There are litigation options out there. Anytime you sign a contract and there are certain um, situations where even if you don't sign a contract, there is an implied contract. And so litigation is obviously an option, but I think of it more on the practical side of, okay, what's it worth? If I gave someone a $10,000 deposit, that's not a little bit of money. So let's be honest. That's not a little bit of dollars. Um, so, so litigation is always on the table for enforcement purposes, 
Um, but there's other things too of, okay, what's it worth for my time and the headache? So that, that's a hard question. What do I do if my contractor won't finish the job? This is why it's so important to find reliable people. And when we talk about a market where there's a labor shortage and everyone's just like, no, I need it done tomorrow. So I'll take the first person I get, right? It's very hard to uh, stay true to a mindset of I'm going to obtain three quotes. That's the way I was taught, right? You always get multiple quotes for a job. But when you're needing something fast, that 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 can be challenging. And it, and, and it takes discipline to stay on that path. So um, I, seek legal help, obviously, is one answer. I think you definitely should talk to an attorney. Um, it's just because for legal peace of mind, just to know what your options are. And then it becomes a cost analysis, right? Because what's it going to cost you to track down and force um, the contractor to do the work if you even can, right? Because if a lot of contractors, you know, live job to job. And so if there's really no money to be had, and if you're really not going to get anywhere, the unfortunate and the hard truth is sometimes it's better to cut your losses, I'm speaking from experience partially on that at certain, certain points in my life too. Um, and, and, and it's difficult and you've got to make that choice. Cause again, I don't think everyone um, who falls short and fails at business is necessarily a bad person. And, or maybe they didn't start as a bad person or maybe, you know, certain decisions as it relates to you that they weren't being a bad person. They just, you know, we all have a fight or flight mentality depending on our personal situation. And when things get tough, things change and money changes people. We know that, that, that that's that been true since the beginning of time. And that's unfortunately going to be the case forever. So um, I feel for you, whoever you are, Anon, um, I hope that you, that you, you get the help you, that you, you want and that you uh, paid for. That's, that's always what it comes down to. You just wish people would do what they said they would do, especially when you're paying them to do it. So I wish I had a better answer on that one. I really do. What sector of real estate do you think will be most volatile in the short term, what sector of real estate do I think will be most volatile in the short term? I think the biggest question um, in the short term is office space. Return to office and, and what uh, COVID did with remote work. Um, I'll, say you're a little, I'll share you a little insight with my, my personal experience. So my, my mom um, has worked from home for, for years, for decades, really, to be honest with you, on and off for decades. She, she, works, she works in technology, so it's a little bit different for her to be able to do that. And she's a good worker. She's a hard worker at home. It's one of the, one of the people that taught me what it means to work hard. And so um, I don't think necessarily remote work is bad, but for real estate, right, you've got companies that uh, pay for office space. We're seeing all the layoffs. We're seeing the um, companies not renewing leases or breaking leases and willing to pay the penalty for it. Uh, across the nation right now. So back to office is going to be a big question. And I think um, as um, the financial sector, particularly as just the economy in general starts to shake out and let's see where it lands, because there's a lag effect, right? There's a lag effect to the moves the Fed's making and how that affects the markets. And so if like, let's assume a six month lag, okay, where are we going to be at six months from now? That's very difficult to predict. Um, will employees still have the major leverage over employers. And that has to do with the supply and demand. Again, the most basic principle of economics of, okay, how many jobs are available in the market as compared to employees, potential employees, laborers in the marketplace. 
And so if the trend continues of there being so many jobs available as compared to employees and potential workers, i.e. a limitation of supply of workers, of laborers, then they will continue to have the control in the scenario and employers will have to continue to pivot and make um, some unprecedented, never before thought to have had to make moves. And so what will those moves be? We'll see. So I think I think office is the biggest one. The second from an investment perspective are short-term rentals. Um, two main reasons. Number one is will people continue to travel? Will pocketbooks be so wide open and people be willing to spend dollars on traveling throughout the, the year and into even let's call it next year? Because again, you've got to have more of a long-term outlook on short-term rentals. And so that will be a big question of are people over leveraged on the investment properties they bought as short term rentals? Big question. The second piece of it is regulation. If you bought a rental property within an HOA, within an association, and we talked with Jim Slaughter previously about HOAs and the ability of an HOA to limit someone's, someone's uh, rights and ability to keep that property as an investment property and allow for short-term rentals, you could be in a world of hurt and you may have to pivot. You may have to pin it to a long-term rental instead. Um, It could get even more drastic than that, depending on the associations that say, okay, we're going to limit rentals in general and want primary residences. We don't want to allow rentals. I think we will see some lawsuits. I think we will definitely see some case law. Um, and that be, will be some question because if you bought a property at one point when there wasn't a rule in place, but then a rule subsequently came about later, that's ripe for a lawsuit. And then there's probably some some precedent on the books in some way, shape, or form, but have the courts shifted at all to where they will take up the question again if they have already previously heard the question uh, is an entirely different matter. And that's going to depend on your individual district and the that's why I, uh, I follow the advice of my grandpa, vote early, vote often, So, because <laughs> it makes a difference. And yeah, we do vote for judges. So uh, keep that in mind as well at the local level, right? At the local level, I think local levels are what drive markets. What an introspective day today. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm mentally exhausted at this point based on the conversations, not in a bad way, but because of there's so much to do and so much to learn. I appreciate you being on the ride with us. Hope your day's going well, and I hope you've got some exciting things planned. Let me just say on a personal note, enjoy the family time, right? If, if, you, if you're with your family right now, just turn to each other and smile. And just be grateful you're together. Life is short. Let's uh, let's be be joyful to be together. If you're not with your family, give them a call. Shoot them a text. Don't text while you're driving now. Uh, but but give them a call today. Don't let the day slip by without without just saying hey. Maybe there's some relationships that uh, you know you've been thinking about and you want to reconnect. Um, just on a personal note, I'd say uh, give it a shot. What's the worst case that could happen? Justin Gazep is Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. Give us a call, info at todaysrealtalk.com. Drop us a line. We look forward to talking with you again soon.